Today's episode of Second and 26 is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Alabama football tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. If you can save some serious cash, why wouldn't you? Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome back into Second and 26, your dedicated Alabama Crimson Tide podcast here on The Athletic. I'm your host, Aaron Suttles, Alabama beat writer for The Athletic. You can hear me on WJX 94.5 Mondays through Friday from 10 to 2 Central. Hope you check that out and hope you've been enjoying the great coverage this season uh, across The Athletic uh, and its platform of uh, the very best college football writers in the country, Alabama. Uh, clean claims its third SEC win of the year. Claims its second SEC road win of the year. Gets to six and oh. Hey, guess what, guys? They're bowl eligible. That's right. Alabama's going bowl, <laughs> going bowling in 2019 after a 47 to 28 win over the fighting Texas A&M Aggies there in College Station at Kyle Field. Uh, after the first series in which Texas A&M went 15 plays, 75 yards, ate up eight minutes of the clock. Alabama goes down answers, and and then from from there it was pretty much over. Alabama um, jumping out to a, a more than twenty point lead there in the fourth quarter holds on there for a nineteen point win. Um, but did you notice what else happened this weekend? And and that's what's got everyone's attention that LSU remained unbeaten. Their night game in Death Valley against Florida, a really entertaining game if you got to see it. Um, that game was tied 21 at half. Florida gets the ball in the second half, goes down, scores a touchdown, goes up 28-21, and then doesn't score again as, as LSU is able to hold them off for a, uh, for a big win. And it's LSU knocking off the top 10 Florida Gators. Now they're all the way up to number two in the, in the AP poll. Uh, Clemson held there in the coaches poll, but LSU is number two in the AP poll. And why do I mention that? I mention that because they play in a few weeks. Now it's, um, it's, it's a little less than a month away, but Alabama LSU, that game's going to be in Bryant Denny stadium. They're going to play. And we don't normally jump ahead of ourselves like that. But, um, if, if, if things stand as they are today, do you understand that Alabama and LSU would be 1-2? Do you know the last time that a number one and number two ranked team in the regular season played a game against the other? That would be 2011 when Alabama and LSU played in, quote-unquote, the game of the century. We are steamrolling toward another huge matchup if things stay the same. If Alabama holds serve, if LSU holds serve, 
then we're going to get a, an early November game in Bryant-Denny Stadium, number one versus number two. Now, obviously, both those teams uh, need to hold their current positions. Um, just because they stay unbeaten doesn't mean they're going to stay in the top spot. In fact, in the AP poll, there were four teams receiving first-place votes this week. Um, and I'm not talking about just one vote here or there. Um, multiple uh, first-place votes for four teams. When you look at uh, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State. But it's uh, it's kind of hard not to be impressed with what LSU's doing this year. Joe Burrow has, uh, with the help of Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, has completely revamped a dormant offense of the Tigers and made them very relevant. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the offensive records that Alabama set last year in the SEC in terms of points, LSU has has followed up the next year and broken. Um, Joe Burrow jumps to number one in our Heisman straw poll um, that we do every week. He's now the leader. He's gone from um, – he was receiving votes, but now he's he's number one. It had been Jalen Hurts since the, uh, the straw poll had rolled out with Tua there in second. Now uh, it is Joe Burrow one, Tua Tungvaluwa second with Jalen Hurts there in third. So if things hold, we're going to get a quote-unquote game of the century part two. And it's uh, it's fascinating to think about because these two teams are completely different than they were when they met eight years ago in 2011. Um, those were those were really two teams that were stocked full of defensive NFL talent. Uh, the offenses that day, while not great, they were still good, but they didn't have near the amount of talent that these these two teams do this year. And, of course, it's fair to point out that the game of football has changed and the offenses across the country are, are lighting up scoreboards like uh, like video games. But I'm kind of sitting back here pointing toward this matchup, wondering, I mean, LSU's got Auburn in a couple of weeks. There's no way Auburn jumps up and, and bites LSU, right? I mean, the last time that Auburn won in Baton Rouge was 1999. There's no way that, that Tennessee or or Arkansas jump up and, and bite Alabama in the next two weeks. So there's a really good shot that we get these two teams in their current positions 1-2 and sign me up for it. I mean, sign me up for a shootout between Alabama and LSU. We've seen a lot of defensive struggles, and we've seen Alabama thro- uh, just completely throttle LSU at times just like they did last year when they beat them 29 to nothing. But when Florida goes out and puts up 42 points on, on Florida, that gets people's attention. When Joe Burrow goes out and completes 21 or 24 passes, uh, that gets people's attention. Now it's fair to point out that, that Florida did have some injuries to their defensive ends um, that, that certainly shaped that game. But all we can do is go on what, how the game was played and, LSU put 42 on the board. Um, Now, there's also the other side of that in that a very bland sort of Florida offense was able to get 28 versus LSU at night in Tiger Stadium in Death Valley. That's a tough place to play. The fact that with a backup quarterback, with Kyle Trask as the quarterback. Now, they used Emory Jones in in some spot duty, but that was – 
that was an impressive performance by Florida. Even in a loss, I came away impressed with them. Uh, the, the fact that they I did not expect them to score 28 points. Uh, that's just, that wasn't, uh, that's not what I expected. And the, there was no way they were ever going to win a shootout with LSU. But credit to Dan Mullen and his staff for, for finding a way to get four touchdowns on the board. Uh, but it also makes you wonder, you know, we've, a, we've asked a lot this season, what's wrong with Alabama's defense? Maybe we should start asking as well, what's wrong with LSU's defense? And maybe it's just time that we come to grips with that both these defenses are no longer elite. And I wrote that after Alabama um, beat Texas A&M. That was sort of my lead is, is maybe this is where these two, this is where Alabama is right now. Like this is what this defense is going to be after six weeks, after six games. I, I don't think it's unrealistic or, or unreasonable rather to say this is what Alabama is. Now they can get incrementally better, which is what I wrote. I, I think they can get better, but I think this is what this defense is. I think they're going to give up yards and they're going to give up points at, at clips that we're just not used to seeing Alabama teams do under Nick Saban. I think the same can be said of LSU. And what do those two teams have in common? It's the offense. I think the way that style of play lends itself to the defense being on the field more, um, we, we don't want to, I don't want to delve too deeply into that. I mean, you know, A&M, Started off the game with a 15-play drive, and then I thought to myself, well, this is going to be another one of those games for Alabama, right, where they're going to give up nearly 90 plays on defense. Well, they didn't because um, the second series they came out, they got a three and out, negative six yards, Texas A&M was held to. And for the game, A&M ran 70 plays. So it didn't get out of hand, and um, you know Nick Saban was obviously pleased about that. But the the prospects of me – getting to see a shootout between Alabama and LSU. Um, the two quarterbacks right now nationally that are the you know two of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country, they're, um, they're throwing touchdowns at a clip we haven't seen before. Um, you know, Tua threw his first interception against Texas A&M, but other than that, it's been pretty flawless this year. Joe Burrow, as I mentioned, was 21-24 against Florida in that great defense. So there's a lot to look forward to in that matchup. And I, I for one – um, I'm looking forward to just, just for the role reversal, right? I mean, just for the, we knew that for a long time, these teams wanted to run the football. They wanted to own the line of scrimmage and they wanted to play elite defense. That's what, that's what that game was. And it, it gave us that nine to six overtime game in 2011. It gave us some very entertaining games after that. And then Alabama went out and got Lane Kiffin and their offense separated from LSU. It did. That was the demarcation points. 2014, Alabama goes and gets Lane Kiffin. They take Blake Sims. They got Amari Cooper. And then offense changed. Now, along the way, depending on the quarterback and the offensive coordinator, Alabama hasn't always been that explosive. But they did show signs of, hey, we're going to put an effort into being a lead on offense. We got great skill guys. We had Amari Cooper. We've got these group of receivers. We're going we're gonna to do what suits them best. LSU never did that. LSU got left in the dust. I mean, for a long time, LSU has measured itself against Alabama, and then and then Alabama left them behind. They were these were two really well matched teams for a long time, and then Alabama got Lane Kiffin, and they started doing things to to utilize and feature their their skill guys. Now there have been bumps along the way, as I mentioned. You know, there was the 
Jalen Hurts' sophomore year, which Alabama wasn't electric on offense, throwing the football. There's been the, the Jake Coker year of 2015 where Alabama was a run-first team. But they featured – each what each of those teams did is they took their – they're all best offensive players, and they featured them. With 2015, it would have been crazy not to give Derrick Henry the ball. That was what that team was. Now they got a bevy of wide receivers that no one could guard. That's what this team is. Now LSU's caught up, or at least they wanted to catch up. And it took them a long time, guys. It took them a long time, and they went searching for a long time, and they finally got caught up. So just that juxtaposition and style from what this game used to be to what it will be, or at least what it looks like it will be this year, is is going to make that matchup all the more fun. We got a few weeks to get to them, but I I wanted to point toward that because we are there are two cars and and they are heading to the same place. And unless there are any un, unexpected pit stops, they're going to get there at the same time where they are right now and it's going to be the the game of the college football season. I mean, it, how could it not be? I mean, we've had some good games so far. You know, Florida just played LSU, that was a good game. Texas played Oklahoma, that was a good game. But Alabama LSU has always been a little something different. It just had that little uh that you can't really explain. Well, now if we get one two with that matchup, it's the college football game of the season. It it just will be. And who's who's not looking forward to that? Um Najee Harris had a career high, guys, 20 carries versus Texas A&M. Hard to believe that was his career high in carries. I started looking into it. I broke it down. I, I, I wanted to look more into what Najee did and how he did it. Because for three weeks in a row, he's he's had his best games. He's The last three games, the, the offensive line looks better. The running game looks better. And I thought they had their best game Saturday on the road at Texas A&M. Now, is that a coincidence? Is that um, is that just happenstance? Or is it because Landon Dickerson played at center and Deontay Brown was at right guard? I don't know. All I know is that at the end of the day, Najee Harris gets 20 carries. Um, career high. And they, and they didn't do it to sacrifice what Alabama's good at. In other words, they didn't completely throw the game plan out the window and say, you know what? Let's get Najee some carries. It, no, they still threw the ball around. Tua got his, the wide receivers got theirs. Alabama got a lead, though, and then they ran it. That's what Nick Saban's been wanting to see. Nick Saban's never wanted to be this, this slow this offense down, to go three yards in a cloud of dust, that we're going to run it 60 times again. That was never what Nick Saban intended. He wants to run it when they need to run it. And when you got a three-score lead in the fourth quarter in someone else's house, you want to take the air out of it. You want to run the football. You want to milk the clock. And that's what we saw. Now, in studying the numbers on this, and, and I wrote this, you can find it up at, at The Athletic right now. It's under uh, the Subtle's Thoughts uh, story that was posted this morning. I broke down Najee Harris's carries from this game. And I, as I said, career high, 20 carries, but how it unfolded. Uh, because it wasn't, it, it wasn't traditionally what we've seen Alabama and how they've used their running backs when they've had really good running backs. It was very specific and it highlighted what this team does well. It didn't come out and they didn't give Najee carries eight carries in the first quarter and another seven in the second quarter. That's not what it was. But it, 
the numbers and how they broke them down, I found really informative, and I wanted to share them with you right now. So he goes out, and as I mentioned, Najee Harris has been playing better. In fact, 295 yards of his 451 yards that he's had this season through six games, 295 of that out of 451 came in the last three games. So they're, they're finding something with Najee, and I think they found something with the offensive line. I think Najee's running the ball a little harder. But so, so this is the carry breakdown. It goes out in the first quarter. Again, they're not going to sacrifice what they do really well, which is the passing game, just to give someone carries. They're going to go out and play their football, and they're going to they're going to situationally run. That's what I'm going to call it: situational running. So Najee gets three carries in the first quarter. Okay. Now Brian, I didn't track, I didn't chart Brian Robinson's, but he also got some carries in these that um, these quarters that I didn't track. Second quarter, another three carries. So at, at halftime, Najee's got six carries, and then Alabama gets the lead, right? And then they're going to start leaning on you a little bit. Because in the in the third quarter, Najee gets six carries. So three carries in the first quarter, three carries in the second quarter. He goes to six carries in the third. And what do you know in the fourth quarter? They give him eight. They gave him eight carries. Now, that shows to me that that might be a recipe on how they how they can run the football this season. Get a lead, then lean on teams. Let those big maulers up front, the Alex Leatherwood and and Evan Neal and Landon Dickerson, Deontay Brown, Jedrick Wills, let those big guys eat a little bit. Here's something else I noticed, not just in, in the in the distribution of carries, which is fascinating because he got more carries in every quarter. Who does that remind you of? A little Derrick Henry-esque. Now he's not carrying the ball 40-something times like Derrick Henry had to do down the stretch in 2015. But I do find... More than just the distribution, look at this. He also had three explosive runs in the fourth quarter. Another way to be a little Derrick Henry-esque, Najee Harris, maybe he's one of those backs that gets stronger as the game goes along. Now, I'm sure I'm sure to a certain extent, every running back, the more carries you give them, the better they're going to get. But I don't, I don't think it was by accident that three explosive runs come or came rather in the in the fourth quarter. He had a he had a fifteen yard run. He had a fourteen yard run. He had a twenty five yard run, all in the fourth quarter. So, the majority of his hundred and fourteen yards came in the fourth. I mean, he had one hundred and fourteen yards on the day, but a, a nice chunk of that came in the fourth quarter. What what are we looking at? So that's forty. 15, 25, that's 40. 14 yards is 54, 56, 66. 64 yards of the 114. 66 of the 114 yards came in the fourth quarter. I think they found a recipe. Now, what, what, what's going to be interesting to see is if Chris Owens is healthy. Chris Owens has been your starting center. If he's healthy, does he get his job back? Nick Saban said today during his Monday noon teleconference that Chris Owens should be able to do some stuff today. And they're going to make a decision this week. Nick Saban knows, no fo- knows more football than me. I'm not even going to, to question that. But after what I saw in Texas A&M, I don't know how much of a decision is there to be made. Isn't, isn't the results the decision? Now, listen, I know Nick Saban has to play the PR game. Nick Saban can't come out and name a starter to the media. He's got he's to let it play out in practice. 
He's got to have the respect for Chris Owens that if if they're going to go with Landon Dickerson, to let him compete this week and then make that decision. So I get it. I get it a little bit, but I fully anticipate Landon Dickerson's your center, and I think Deontay Brown's your right guard. I think Evan Neal played one of his better games this week. So I think the offensive line is starting to find something, and if Najee can be that guy and they can they can carve out that role for him, listen, he's not going to be a 25-30 carry He's not going to get the opportunities that Jonathan Taylor gets to Wisconsin. That's not the way this team is built. But if he has a defined role, which I don't think they've done a very good job up until this point, if he can be the closer, that's his role. And I think that's that's really dangerous for defenses. If he's fresh in the fourth quarter and you got to go tackle 230 pounds over and over and over again, that's tough. I think the Alabama offense, beyond what we knew it to be, which is a – a dynamic, explosive, quick-hitting passing team. That's the identity. But they also found an identity in how they closed it out. Now, can they build on that? That's that's what's going to be interesting to see. And that was so fun to watch Najee there in the, in the fourth quarter and then looking at the numbers of, man, not only did he get more carries, he got the production off of it too. Hey, Andy Staples breaks down the beautiful mess that is college football with his friends from the Athletics Loaded College Football staff in the Andy Staples Show. He'll celebrate the walk-ons, break down the touchdowns that weren't supposed to happen, and freak out every time a coach punts on fourth and one from the opponent's 45. Join Andy on the appropriately join Andy on the appropriately named Andy Staples Show twice weekly and click the follow button on the series page for notifications when new episodes release. Terrell Lewis had a game, didn't he? Terrell Lewis showed out. That was the best game by far Terrell Lewis has had in an Alabama uniform. Best game. It goes beyond the sacks, too. He got two sacks. That's great. I'm talking about every play. That guy was, his motor was going full speed. He was noticeable. He was noticeable for me in the press box without the benefit of replay. You guys at home, you get to see if a, if a, you know, a defensive player is, is causing havoc. You get to see it. You get to see replays of it. The announcers talk about it. I'm just watching it in real time, and then I'm watching the All-22 version from way upsize, uh, uh, upstairs in a press box. It was noticeable to me in real time, and I'm talking noticeable. He wasn't even the guy making the play. He was just twisting and stunning and getting pressure, making the quarterback move. He was all over the place. Stats say he had two sacks. That's great. That's wonderful. He was a lot more valuable than that. He showed out, and I asked Nick Saban after the game, Man, what got into Terrell today? And Nick Saban said he was able to practice. And I'm talking about fully practice. He's been practicing, but they also have been limiting him. They they let him go. He's fully practicing. And Nick Saban said it showed up on the film, uh, on the field rather, and he looks more explosive. He absolutely looks more explosive. I asked Terrell after the game, and you know what he said? He said, yeah, practice has helped. But being able to play a lot of plays on the field when Anthony Jennings is in the game, that means that offensive lines, they can't shift protection one way or the other. They got to play us straight up. And that helped him. That's what we've been waiting for. That's who the that's the guy we've been waiting to show up. That's the 24 we thought we were going to get this year. If he continues that, and maybe Christian Barmore starts to play more, suddenly you're getting you're getting a front that's going to be more active and cause more negative plays. That's an exciting prospect for Alabama. As I mentioned, maybe this defense is what it is, and it's time that we accept that, 
But I did say maybe they can get incrementally better. A big increment in that would be pass rush because a pass rush makes everything better. You make a quarterback uncomfortable, you hit him, you sack him, you put him on the ground, you force Aaron throws, you get more turnovers. It makes the entire thing easier. When I say that the defense is what it is, they're still going to be bust. There's still going to be a tight end running up the, up the seam of the field for a touchdown. They're, this defense is not suddenly going to turn into the number one defense in the country, but they can get incrementally better, and a big increment could be that pass rush. And we saw that from Terrell Lewis. We saw it from Christian Barmore. A Boygby got half of a sack. Anthony Jennings is in there mixing it up. That could be – I mean, Terrell Lewis single-handedly can give Alabama's defense a boost just by himself. I think it's. Uh, I think it was an exciting day for Alabama fans. Still, he gave up 28 points. I get it. He gave up way too many yards. Kellen Mond got 90 yards rushing. That's great. That's great. That's all well and good. Kellen Mond got the majority of his yards in the fourth quarter. That didn't make it. That that didn't mean it didn't happen. That means they still didn't contain him. But the game was over at that point. So I'm not going to freak out too much about that. I thought it was a better defensive effort. I understand they gave up too many points. I understand they got too many yards um, put up on them. But for what this defense is this year, I thought that was solid. I thought that was a solid defensive performance, especially out of the gate when when Texas A&M goes 75 yards, 8 minutes, 15 plays, and you're like, uh-oh, this game could get sideways on Alabama. Is Texas A&M going to control the clock, limit Alabama? They didn't do that. So I, I think there are things that you can build upon on that from that defensive performance. And if, if Terrell Lewis becomes that dude, that dude that we all thought he was going to be, if he can replicate that performance week in and week out, Alabama's defense takes the next level. Again, I don't think they're elite. I still think they're going to get beat. I still think they're going to blow assignments. I still think those freshman linebackers are still going to have th- things thrown at them that they're not going to f- completely understand. But... Terrell Lewis can can help it make the next step. And the next step would still be a level that's good enough to win. Especially when you got Alabama's offense out there putting 40, 50, sometimes 60 points on the board. So uh, it would certainly help if um if we if Alabama gets that performance week in, week out from Terrell Lewis, and they have that dude to go against Joe Burrow. Because Joe Burrow doesn't get hit a lot. And Joe Burrow is incredibly efficient, and they got a lot of weapons. Again, I'm pointing to that that early November matchup. I cannot wait. Hopefully, I'm not counting my counting uh, all that before it, it actually happens. So we'll uh, we'll see. But exciting development with from Terrell Lewis. Uh, it's third Saturday in October time. Alabama gets Tennessee this week at home. That game used to be huge. That game used to be big. I mean, so it's the two winningest programs in SEC history. That's who those two teams are, but it ain't much of a rivalry anymore. Tennessee hadn't won since 2006. The iPhone wasn't even invented. The iPhone wasn't even a thing the last time Tennessee won this game. Think about that. Think about all the technology we have now that wasn't around the last time the Volunteers won this game. It's... Uh, it, it's... It's the it, it's the longest win streak in this series history. Alabama's won every game since since 2007. So every time that Nick Saban's played against Tennessee, he's beat them. He ain't lost to them. 
And unless a minor miracle occurs, wherein a different team takes the takes the field for Tennessee, uh, this game's there's going to be no difference in what what happens Saturday. Now it's an eight o'clock kick. You're going to get to be under the lights. You're going to get to see those new LE lights inside Bryant Denny Stadium. All that exciting stuff. But as, as far as on the field, I think the line. I want to say the line opened around 29, 29 and a half, and it quickly shot up. Like, it's it's a five-touchdown line. That's what the public thinks of this. Vegas had it under 30, and the public said no. The money guys who, who swing lines said no. And that's a big point move. I mean, that's a big move from opening, from, from under 30 to, to 35, 34 and a half, 35, 35 and a half. Big point move. You just no way that you see Tennessee winning this game. Alabama's just got too much. I think for this game, you just hope to stay healthy. Um, on Friday's podcast, we're going to have David Ubbin, uh, who covers Tennessee for the Athletic, and we'll we'll find some matchups to watch if Tennessee can can do anything against Alabama. Uh, the, you know, Trey Smith, the talented tackle, was named co-offensive lineman of the of the week. So good to see that young man after battling blood clot issues, be out there and, and playing good football. I think the the quarterback they played Mauer got a concussion. We'll know his status later in the week, but, but David will come on and give us areas to watch to, to see what areas Tennessee could even have success in. It doesn't look like it's going to be much, but that rivalry against Tennessee has been anything but the last decade so we'll see if Tennessee can make it interesting. Of course, Tennessee's had some had some scares, right? They Alabama needed Rocky Block in 2009 to preserve that unbeaten season. Terrence Cody blocking a field goal as time expired to win that one, 12 to 10. 2015, Tennessee had a lead. I want to say with five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter in Bryant Denny Stadium. Uh, so Tennessee's threatened a couple of times, but that's it. They haven't been able to to, to pull the upset in it. All signs point to know whether they're going to be able to do that again. I want to thank you for listening to Second and 26. We'll come at you Friday. Remember, David Ubbin from Tennessee will join me. Until that time, thanks for listening.